Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. I love that, that, that hymn, He Will Hold Me Fast. Um, and that, that language of being held fast is kind of weird language, right? We don't really use that term very much in daily life. It's very like hemi language, right? Like, he will hold me fast. But the, the imagery of that language is really, really compelling, where it's a, it, it comes from this idea of, of a nautical term, where if you can imagine a boat transporting cargo, and when you're transporting cargo, you got to make sure that it's tied down. Because what happens on the, on the sea? You get big waves, you get big top, you know, wind is coming, you get rain, and it's an unstable surface that you're going on. And so what the term would be is that you would, you would secure fast the cargo so that it wouldn't move, so that it would be able to withstand all that the sea could throw at it, that the boat could go up and down and sideways and backwards and you know, that the wind could hit it, but the, the cargo on the ship is held fast. It's held tightly. It's held secure. So that no matter what's thrown at it, it will make it to its destination. And that is, the, that is such a rich picture of Christ holding us. That no matter what this life throws at us, he tells us, in this world you will have trouble. If, if anyone has ever taught to you, or if you have ever kind of gotten this gospel message that if you receive Jesus, that that means everything is up and to the right in your life. You're going to be happy, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be wealthy, you're going to have money in your pocket, you're going to have rings on your fingers, as John Piper would preach about, and everything is grand. Every day's Friday. By the way, don't ever listen to Joel Osteen. He's, a, he's not a gospel preacher. He's a heretic. But Jesus is much better. The word of God is a much richer message for us. Where he says, in this world you'll have trouble. But take heart. Because I've overcome the world. And he actually uses suffering for redemptive purposes. And if something is going wrong in your life, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have lack of faith or have sinned. It could just mean we live in a really broken world, but we are held fast through it. Even when your faith is small and you feel like you, you've given yourselves over to, to a sin that you thought was, was long dead in your life. Or, or if you find things in your life, like, like one of the things that can be discouraging for me is I wished I was farther along in my journey of being shaped into the image of Jesus 24 years into following him than I really am. And yet when I look at who I was... I'm not that guy anymore. But through it all, my strength is weak. His is strong. You, Christian, are held fast. Because your salvation is not even in your hands. You were bought and paid by the finished work of Jesus. 
And I pray that that is more beautiful to you, more captivating to you, and more wonderful to you than any shiny object that this world could offer you. Because at the end of the day, that is an inheritance that will never perish, never spoil, and never fade. But has, and I love this phrase. Oh, this is, this is a phrase that is pregnant with so much meaning to ponder. That that carries with it an eternal weight of glory. Amen? So as we look uh, this morning, we're going to look at just like a few verses. We have been walking through the Sermon on the Mount for, for a while. But take heart. One of the guys that we had breakfast with at Syracuse, dear friend of mine, Mike Maisie. He's one of the planters that Missio and Syracuse planted out. It was the first church that we planted as a church. And we had breakfast with him. They've been preaching through the Gospel of Matthew for four years. And they're still not done. And we were like, hey, we've only been in two chapters since like March. So we're screaming through this. I mean, put your seatbelt on, folks. Batten your hair down, right? Like, we're not that, but we could be. Darren, we totally could be. But today, we're making a turn. We're making a turn as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount where we are beginning the conclusion. Jesus is wrapping up what he said in 5, 6, and and a chunk of 7, and now he's beginning to wrap up all that he's taught. And so let's look at these verses. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 to 14. Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 to 14. Let me read this for us. This is the word of God. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So if we look at verse 12 for a minute, there's there's almost two things going on here, but we got to remember, we've got to look at the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, not just bite-sized independent chunks, right? This is a whole teaching that he's giving us on the kingdom of God. And you remember, he is not giving us a moral lesson to follow. He is describing this is the kingdom of God. This is how it operates. This is how my people who are called by my name live in the midst of this kingdom. And I'm the king of that kingdom. So when we say the king's people, here's what we really mean. Christ's people. So those who belong to Jesus are brought into a kingdom. And that kingdom is the kingdom that Christ is the king of. And what we see through the whole Sermon on the Mount is that the kingdom of God is directly opposite of the kingdom of this world. It operates in different principles. It it makes different decisions. Those who are in it, the, 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 the kingdom of God is the way life was meant to be. See, one of the dangers that we can get in as Christians, and I think people who even have a Christian worldview, and I say that very lightly, right? We can begin to look at this world 
and we see it post-sin entering the world. And we think, this is how God made it. And you see this all the time with people. We think God made the world this way. He didn't. This world is broken. It is marred. It is, it is, it is totally, from its core, been corrupted. So when you see the world and when you see things even in your own heart that you know are contradictory to the scriptures, do not buy into the lie. Well, that's how God made me. No, he didn't. That's the fall being lived out in you. God made the world different. He made it whole. He made it complete. He made it beautiful. He made it free from sin. He made it where our hearts were meant to be aligned with our creator, not begrudgingly, but joyfully. And Jesus is not only describing his kingdom, but he's describing the way life was meant to be. Life was not meant to be riddled with anger towards one another. It was not meant to be where our relationships are ones of lust against one another. We, you know, God did not create a kingdom where divorce and families would be ripped apart. He did not create things where, where like our words were not reliable. We were, he, he didn't create a world that there would be a, if you hurt me, I'm going to come back at you ten times harder to destroy you. He created a kingdom where the worship of God was not just relegated to rules and things you don't do, but that, 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 that his people would joyfully desire to worship him from their hearts outward. And so Jesus is saying in chapter or in verse 12, it's kind of a summary statement of a lot of what he said of what a follower of Christ does. And he says, whatever you wish to do, others would do for you. Do also for them. And he says, because this is the law and the prophets. In other words, this is what the entire Old Testament hangs on. We know the two greatest commandments. We love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourself. And Jesus says in Matthew 22, I believe, that the entire law hangs on those two. Have you ever seen a giant heavy picture or a giant heavy mirror? It needs to have two things that it hangs on, and the whole thing hangs on those two giant nails. That's kind of what's happening here. And so here's what Jesus is saying. The king's people don't just view others about what I'm not going to do to you. Because historically, prior to Jesus saying this, this same sort of idea was always done in the negative. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Jesus inverts it. It says, no, actually, don't just be ruled by what you can't do. Be driven by what you can do. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at everyone around you, and you are free to do to them what you would have them do to you. Limitless love. Limitless generosity. Limitless blessing. So how do you, like, let's just take a second. Like, like think about this rhetorically. How do you want people to treat you? How do you really want people to treat you? Do you want them to hold grudges against you? Do you want them to treat you like an object? Do you want them to treat you by your label? Oh, you're a Democrat. Oh, okay. 
Oh, you're one of those people. Do you want people to see you just according to some label or, or you're a rich guy or you're a poor guy? Do you want them to, like, how do you want people to treat you? I would submit, and I know that there are warped people out there that don't want this, but generally speaking, we want people to be patient with us. We genuinely want people to be kind to us. We want forgiveness because I know I'm not perfect. We want people to be honest with us. Is, is there anything worse than when you're hanging out with someone and they're telling you something and you're kind of like, I'm not sure I can trust a word coming out of your mouth, man. Right? Like, I don't want to be treated as an object. I want to have grace given to me. And the list goes on and on, right? Our lives, church, are to be marked by this. We are not to do things so we can get good things back, like karma. By the way, if you're a Christian and you still call out karma, repent. (laughs) There is no such thing as karma. That's a pagan idea, right? Yes, God created a world where if we sow bad, bad things happen. That's just called natural order. But it always doesn't work out that way either because we also live in a broken world of natural order. But we don't, I don't want to treat you kindly so that now I'm in a transaction with God to go, see, I was really nice to Vanessa. God, you, you kind of owe me some good stuff here. Where's my boat? I don't even like a boat, but somehow it's prosperity, so give me a boat, God. Right? We're not to do this so we can earn salvation. Like, like hear that. This is not a test to go, how many old ladies did you help across the street, Ashley? I helped five. Mmm, so close. But you just didn't get in. I'm so sorry. If you would have done nine, seven, seven's the perfect number. You're right. What am I thinking? Say, I'm not perfect. Seven's the perfect number. Right? This isn't so we can go up and be like, hey, I'm way better than Clint. He's a lawyer. (laughs) Right? Like, seriously. I got way more. I'm a pastor. He's a lawyer. Come on, man. (laughs) I'm kidding. It's just so fun. It's so easy. It's so easy. I love you. I do. I love you. But this is what the law and the prophets is. Because here's the deal, guys. Think about this. In the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, treating others the way we want to be treated with limitless ability is the way life was meant to be. As it is revealed to us in the Old Testament, this is the direction that it all points to. The purpose of life is to display God's weight and worth and his goodness through us to other people. This displays the kingdom of God. It's how heaven is going to be. Think about that. Now, first and foremost, chief among them, heaven is going to be amazing because God is there. And if you desire a heaven without God, you need to question your salvation because God is the gift of the gospel. And it is not heaven without God there. Does that make sense? And because he is there, 
and he will make his people new in a new heavens and in a new earth. His people will reflect and refract like a prism. You know how light goes into a prism and then comes out beautiful? That's refraction. Right? So we will reflect the goodness of God and we will refract from the inside of us the glory of God as we treat one another with honesty and love and grace and mercy and kindness and patience. And, I'm, and we, we won't live to please ourselves, but we will live for the good of my neighbor, not worried about myself because I know you're living the same way towards me. That will be a great day. See, what Jesus is saying is that this idea of treating others the way you want to be treated, it's, it's the righteousness that Jesus gives to us is to be displayed, not just in the new heavens and the new earth, it's to be displayed now and released everywhere we go in this county in our jobs, in our families, in our recreation, when we're walking around. I'll tell you, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm really being challenged because I'm an intense guy, and so at the football field, I'm like, rip his head off! <laughs> kill that guy! But like, don't really kill him because we want to love him after the game's over. <laughs> right? I'm still working on this. But this is what we call a Forgive the, the large terms here, but this is a term I love. Qualitative distinctiveness. It means there are qualities about us that stand distinct from the world. It drives me crazy to think that there are some people that look at Christians as these humdrum curmudgeons that just hate people. They're so in love with God, they hate their neighbor. My, they're actually not in love with God. They're in love with their own self-righteousness. And they need to repent. Because if the love of God truly transforms our heart, the, the fruit of that is love, is joy, is peace, is patience, is kindness, is gentleness, is self-control. And that is to be lived in such a way that people begin, even if they can't put their finger on it, they begin to look and go, there's something distinct about those people. Jesus is the first one in history to say this command in the positive and not the negative. And what he's doing is he is radically surpassing this com the, the, the negative command by looking at the positive ways to love our neighbor. Merely living by a list of don'ts is just religious observance. And it really contains no life in it. But extending goodness to others is another way entirely. In fact, it's divine. And there is no limit to this. No one is exempt from this, even your enemies. Let that sit with us for just a minute. Do to others what you would have them do to you, even your enemies, even those who have hurt you deeply. Think about that. We are not just to love our neighbor by not doing things to them, 
like, this person drives me crazy. So I'm just not going to talk to them. I'm just not going to TP their yard. <laughs> I'm just not, no. Instead, it's even looking at our enemy and going, how can I promote their human flourishing? I'm going to do good things for them. And when we do this, we're showing that we belong to our Father who is in heaven. His kindness and his goodness to us has no limits. And he has beautifully lifted the lid and says there is no limit to how you can release joy, goodness, love, and mercy to your neighbor. And so from here, as he moves into chapter, or I'm sorry, verse 13, he now begins his conclusion. And he begins to wrap up his teaching on how his people live. And he begins his concluding thoughts. And he says this, so enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many are many, are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few, are few, are few. Enter by the narrow gate. See, he's beginning to give a series of warnings in this conclusion. And we're going to look at each warning. This is one, the wide and the narrow gate He's going to talk about healthy and unhealthy trees and looking at healthy and unhealthy leaders. He's going to talk about two builders, a wise builder and a foolish builder. He's going to look at those who think that they belong to Jesus, but are actually going to come to him. And some of the scariest words in all of the scriptures is when Jesus says, some will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did I not do this in your name? Did I not? And he's going to look at them and say, I depart from me. I never knew you. We've got to hear these warnings because they're warnings of love from a Savior who loves us. What love would he have if he did not warn? So one of the things I love about my father-in-law. You know he loves you because every time you get in the car at night, watch out for deer. It's a good warning, right, Anna Catherine? <laughs> watch out for deer. What kind of a love would it be if it was like, I know there's a lot of deer there. Let's see if they make it. <laughs> this is kind of my entertainment, <laughs> Right? But before his warning, he gives a plea that goes, uh, 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 that go the way that I point to. Like, can you hear? Like, like, I don't know. My imagination begins to run. He's done all this teaching. He's done all this stuff. He's like, there's limitless, like, just release grace to the world. Take everything that I've said. And the plea, he's, like he's saying here, guys, please, please go the way I'm pointing you. 
Go the way I'm telling you. Yes, I know it doesn't always feel good. Yes, I know you may not always want to. Yes, I know there's going to be things that are going to want to pull you that you think are actually better, more appealing, and feel better, and they affirm your heart. But don't go there. Please, don't go there. For those of you that are teenagers in the room, I know there is so much in your life that is saying, do this, be that, follow your heart. There's things in you that are like, man, I don't want to get up and go to church on Sunday. There's anything else I'd rather do than go listen to Jim Murphy speak again. I feel that way about myself, so I get it. But here, even in your youth, the call of a Savior who made you, who knows you, who sees the beginning from the end, don't go the way of destruction. It looks beautiful. It looks wonderful. It is so enticing. It teases every emotion that you have, but it is a primrose path that once you get down, you realize, oh no, this is actually really bad. And I'm not sure I could get out. I promise you that's where it leads. This is almost like the call that Moses gave in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 to 20. Deuteronomy are the, is, this, is a few sermons that Moses gives to the nation of Israel. He's about ready to die. He has done all these amazing things. And they're about ready to enter into the promised land. And they're going without him. And he's like, here's the deal, guys. Everything that I've said, everything that I've done, everything has been inspired by the Lord as he's led me. And here's what I'm doing for you, nation of Israel. I'm holding before you the path of life and the path of death. The path of life leads to blessing. It leads to goodness. It shows that you belong to, the, to, to Yahweh, your covenant-keeping God who made you and who saved you, and it will go well for you. The other way is like everyone else. It's like every other nation, and it is the path of death. And he looks at him and he says, Choose life that you might live. So Jesus says, Go through the narrow gate, not the wide gate. So let's look at this. What is the wide gate? It's God on our own terms. It's a God in my image. It always, I think, is a troubling statement when you engage someone and they say, my God would never do that. My God would never act like that. My God doesn't, no, no. What that reveals is idolatry. You are on dangerous ground. And think about how you would feel if someone were taught, well, well, my Chris is really introverted and doesn't like to serve people. That, that's the Chris that I know. My Chris is really not a nice person. You're like, what are you talking about? I'm right here. I can hear you. <laughs> right? My gym is a Cyclone fan. No, I'm not. <laughs> Never will be. In a similar way, how much more audacious is it for us when God has clearly revealed himself and we're like, no, nope, God, that's actually not who you are. You're actually this. And God's like, that's not going to work out for you. 
The wide gate trusts in our own works and in our own goodness over God's works and his goodness. If we think we're owed heaven just because I was born and that I get to stand before God one day and go, here's my life. I helped nine old ladies across the street. I did all of these things. I God's going to say, mm, depart from me. I never knew you. The wide gate is where we don't have to deal with our sin. A gospel that never calls us to repent, that never calls us to be changed, that never calls us to lay our life down, to pick up his life, I'm telling you, it's an anti-gospel that is leading you to hell. We are called to deal with our sin, and it's not easy, but it's always loving. And it's always the kindness of God that calls us to deal with it. The wide gate is devoid of truth, and it's relativistic. It is applauded by the world and society. It's easy. Because you'll have no obstacles from anyone. Now, I would also say it's really difficult because it continually leads you down a path of destruction you can't escape from. Many are there. And outside of Jesus, so are we all. And if you think you're being spiritual and you're following a giant crowd that wants God on their own terms, that doesn't like truth, that never deals with sin, that's not allowed to speak to where our hearts really are, that thinks, oh no, you're just guaranteed heaven when you die. And you see there's a bunch of people around you, let that be a warning sign to you. You very well might be on walking the wide path through the wide gate. But what's the narrow gate? The narrow gate is the gospel. It tells us that we can't have God on our own terms, but that God so loved us that he bridged the gap and says, here I am. I'm going to reveal myself in mercy, in grace, and in love. I'm coming to you. You don't have to guess who I am. You don't have to wonder who I am. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of mystery, but you're going to know who I am. It tells us that we must trust in his work and his goodness to save us, not my own. That I know the only thing that I bring to the table of salvation is my need. And that he is big enough to overcome all of that need and entirely save me. Hebrews 7.25, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him. The narrow gate is truth, not a truth, the truth. There is a transcendent truth in life that is not relativistic, that transcends culture, time, gender, ethnicity, that transcends nations, And it is Jesus. It is hated by the world and society. It's hard because of that. But it leads to life. And, it is, and, the, and the true meaning of this life. Which is what the whole Sermon on the Mount is about. It is not exclusive, or I'm sorry, so, sorry, 
skip my notes. So why does Jesus say that this path of life is narrow? Is that a loving God? This path is narrow. It leads to life. This path is wide. And that leads to destruction. And, man, I really hope you find the narrow path, but I'm not going to leave a map. You've got to look for it like Harry Potter tried to find uh, the, the train, what is it, seven and three quarters? <laughs> Am I running into that? Nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. It's not how it is. It's not, it's not narrow because it's not available. And it's not narrow because it's not publicized and held high for all to see. Because it is open to any and all who are willing to come. It is not exclusive from the standpoint of status, of our background, of our, of our wealth or poverty. It is not narrow because it only uh, saves a certain race or a certain uh, gender or a certain political party or a certain denomination. The gate is narrow because the gospel tells us to put to death our flesh. That we cannot enter heaven on our own terms. Do you understand that? You cannot enter heaven on your own terms. And it brings hardship and persecution to those who walk the narrow gate because it's hated by the world and nothing in our flesh wants the narrow gate. I just need, that was a pivotal moment for me in my own life when I realized, you know, one of the most challenging scripture verses to me was, was Psalm 84. My heart and flesh cry out for you, the living God. And I had to be honest and go, I'm not sure my heart and flesh really cry out for the living God a lot of, a lot of times in my life. My heart and flesh cry out for my own comfort, my own security, my own needs. Believe it or not, guys, as a pa- I get paid to be here, right? There's sometimes I don't want to come here. It's really hard sometimes. And that's all that, like, I think sometimes we should be real about that. But yet the call of the gospel comes in and we know that we have the spirit of God deposited in us when even though that is where we may be at certain points in our life, the spirit still calls us to put to death our flesh, to take on the life of Christ, which is real life. And then we take a step in that direction and we're like, oh, that's way better than that. I tasted and saw that the Lord is good, and it's good. So let me ask you a question. I just have kind of one very simple question that's supported by a second one, because you know I always have to have subpoints. In all honesty, between you and the Lord, which path are you on? I don't want a Sunday school answer. I don't even care if you tell me, because I'm not the arbiter of your eternal destiny. I am not the broker of your relationship with God. Which path are you truly on? Not the one that you like the idea of being on. I mean really on. With your heart posture, with your mind posture, with your worship posture, with how you align your decisions, your finances, your community, who you follow and who you proclaim. Because those are all indicators. 
And I think it's really easy in the American context to just give lip service to stuff that we make a mockery of with every decision we make every day. Bless you. Which path are you on? Because the one who is greater than Moses is sitting before us saying, I've set before you the path of life and the path of death, righteousness and evil. Do you hear his plea? To choose life that we might live? Do you hear the passionate plea of Jesus? Enter by the narrow gate. I promise you it'll be worth it. I promise you that what's on the other side of that gate and at the path of uh, where that path leads is to the glorious day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, that it will be a people that he has saved for himself from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Or think about this. The end of that path is this. Is think of all the hardship in your life, all the grief in your life, all the times that you've said no to your flesh when you really wanted to say yes, all the times that you pressed in to the things that God wanted, that you began to love your neighbor as yourself and worship God. Like, What would it look like for you to give yourself with reckless abandon to this and know that there will be tears in that process, there will be hardship in that process, there will be times when you feel excluded from the rest of the world in that process, but at the end of that path is your Savior looking at you and who will with his very hand wipe away the tear from your eye. Who will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. It was all worth it. None of it was in vain. I have prepared for you an eternal rest of eternal joy where you will never want again. You will never struggle again. You will never feel the pains of death, sickness, cancer, and ostracization again. It was worth it. I am your God. You are my people. And we will dwell secure forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your Son, and God, I am so thankful that you are such a loving God that you did not leave all of this up to guesswork or simply living in the realm of mystery that maybe we'll find out about. Now, we know that you are a mystery, God, because you are, you are what we're not. We're in your image, but you're not in ours. And so, God, there are things about you that are mysterious and glorious and wonderful. But yet you have made known to us the path of life. You have revealed to us who you are. And, oh, God, I pray that each and every one of us regardless of our age, regardless of our circumstances in life, that with reckless abandon we would trust you as the God of our salvation and we would choose life and together walk the narrow gate. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.